0: This narrator advises that the listener digest the following as entertainment. The showrunners behind it are neither six figure filmmakers nor professional critics, they are casually critical. Hello, and welcome back to Casually Critical, the podcast show starring two pals who love to talk about storytelling. I'm your host, Daniel Carpenter. And I'm James Newton, your
1: co host. For those of you who are curious, we will be starting this review free of spoilers. Our casual correspondence will follow, and then we will end this episode with a spoiler filled discussion. Today,
0: we're going to be discussing Arrival, starring Amy Adams. Daniel, how's it going? It's going great, James. Uh, I don't know if my brain is functioning quite as normally as it usually is after seeing the movie, but I'm ready to talk about it. All right, good. So for those of you who haven't seen it, Arrival is about this linguist who kind of gets caught up in a worldwide conflict. Uh, Alien ships have descended in 12 different locations, and she is tasked with communicating with the beings inside one of the ships it's a movie about language about finding the meaning behind words and kind of deciphering intent and why i guess communication is so important right
1: and there is an ongoing sort of theme going about uh the grieving process um she's grieving the loss of her daughter and um you sort of get to see the character um, go through the grieving process throughout the entire movie and uh, it's it's sort of a large scale world with a small
0: scale um, core I would say I've, I've heard from one critic about this movie when it came out it was very positively praised Uh, One critic said, the best alien movies are the ones that reflect on the deepest human characteristics. Hmm. And ultimately, the most shining element of any good alien sci-fi movie is not about the invaders from outer space. It's about the humans and humanity encountering this race of aliens.
1: Yeah, I think that's an important thing to emphasize, Daniel, because whenever you think about alien movies, you think about large spectacle, you think about huge gunfights and spaceships flying around and
0: I've got a laser gun.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. And you've got, you know, all these humans discovering alien stuff going on, but this movie is a whole lot different uh, from that. It's, it's a drama. It's got some thriller undertones. Um, Mm -hmm. It's very chilling in small ways. And it sort of slowly builds up to this high tension thriller. I would say.
0: Yeah, and let's talk about that slow build-up here. Uh, this is a very slower-paced film. Gosh, how do you pronounce his name? Dennis Villeneuve? Villeneuve? Vill- Villeneuve. I don't Villeneuve. know. Villeneuve? Wave, New Wave Cinema? New Wave
1: Cinema, sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, so Mr. New Wave is what I'm calling <laughs> him. Uh, you might recognize, you may not know his name, but you may know his work. Uh, the year after Arrival came out, He uh, released Blade Runner 2049 and uh, also the movie Sicario, which I believe was 2015-ish. Yeah, it was definitely before Arrival. As soon as he finished Arrival, he began work immediately for Blade Runner 2049. And this guy really does like to take his time, for better or for worse, in setting up the atmosphere and the tone of his movies. Uh, Every shot is very slow. The disadvantage can be for people that go in thinking, oh, we're going to have, as you said earlier, explosions, laser guns, cool technology, alien stuff. uh, You might be a little bit disappointed. Uh, I think it's better to not have many expectations going in. Not that this film is a bad film, but that this film is not a film you would normally expect. It's a very different approach on the sci-fi genre. I will say off the cuff... um of the two Dennis Villeneuve New Wave
1: movies that I've seen, <laughs> I think I probably liked Arrival more than Blade Runner 2049. And
0: why would you say that? For those that probably haven't seen either film.
1: Yeah. Um, I liked Arrival more simply because it felt more personal. Um, mm. It felt like there was a story of a character being told uh, that I could follow, but it didn't hand it to me, you know? Mm. I think uh, Blade Runner 2049, I a lot of the stuff escaped me uh, upon the first watch. I just didn't really, didn't really understand. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I guess I understood what was going on, but I didn't understand why
0: I should care. I don't think that's too harsh of a criticism. I actually felt the same way. Okay. Uh, I think it's a great art house film. Yeah. It's just not a good personal story. And I think to kind of take what you said a little further... I think the problem is the world is so detailed, but the character isn't. And yeah. the character gets lost in the world. The character doesn't drive the world forward. The main character has like amnesia, which is really hard to write a compelling personal conflict of a character with amnesia. Yeah, James and I touch on it back in season one over hours and hours of our content. <laughs> but to sum it up for you, a good example of an amnesiac as a main character would be Jason Bourne. Uh, because his entire conflict revolves around he had this secret life that's coming to haunt him. He just doesn't remember his secret life. Yeah. All that just to say, I think what Arrival does well is the person at the center is what the movie revolves around. Even though the aliens are a global phenomenon, it's down to her and her personal story to help them succeed. And Amy Adams just kicks butt in general.
1: She's a she's a great actress in this movie. Um I feel like even though you feel a distance from this character, you can still see what they're going through.
0: And she is a very distant character. Yeah. It's kind of her... She's kind of lost in her own knowledge. She... Uh, you get a sense she doesn't have much of a social life. Yeah. If that's, if that's reaching a little far. No, that's fair. Um, and And so many people praised Amy Adams for her performance. And it is good. But the first time I saw it, I was like, she's kind of subdued. She's not really a very... Vibrant personality. Yeah. But as I watched it a second time in preparation for this episode, I realized that's what makes it so good. It is subdued, but it's very realistic. It's just as grounded and realistic as the movie her character is in.
1: And I think it's cool that she's get, gotten recognition for that because I think a lot of people get recognized for great acting skills whenever they go through this giant roller coaster of emotions and they're doing crazy things. Right. Characters that fall into insanity and things like that always get critically acclaimed by, by critics. Like, oh man, they're so good at being crazy. But whenever you get someone like Amy Adams, who's just sort of like watching the world fly by and she's having this lucidity between like memories of her daughter and like, just this alien situation that's unfolding, it's stunning. It's, it's very good.
0: She's good at containing those emotions and still portraying them in small, subtle ways. So kind of wrapping up the segment here, James, would you recommend this movie? If so, why? And if not, why?
1: Yeah, uh, I would definitely recommend this movie. Uh, I think it's, I think it's super interesting, really compelling. I think it tells nonlinear storytelling in a very cool way. It's sort of like Inception in the sense that you have to go back and watch it a second time for it to uh, really make full sense. And I really enjoy that in some movies, the rewatchability. And I definitely wanna do that with Parasite as well, but I think that might be for slightly different reasons. Uh, There's just a lot of subtlety in both films that you wanna pick up on on the second watch. I think another thing that, that people try to do with the vast expanse of special effects that we have is uh, to make trippy movies, mind-bending movies, uh, sort of like Inception. So Doctor Strange, I would say, is an attempt to make a quote-unquote trippy movie. I mean, the visuals were trippy, and it tries to be mind-bending in small ways, but Arrival just does that so much better, and it does it in a simple, comprehensive way too. Like I think it straddles the line between Inception and Doctor Strange, where it's like, okay, yeah, this is like blowing my mind, but also... I could see how this works. That's really interesting. This world is is very fascinating. The only thing that I would hold against it is if you don't like slow movies and uh, if you don't like movies with a whole lot of action, I'm sorry. There's not a ton of either of those things. Um, it's very tense, um, but uh, it's, it's not enjoyable in the same way a popcorn flick
0: would be. How about you, Daniel? I would not recommend this movie to just anyone. I think you're in a good ballpark with Inception. I definitely think this movie would appeal to the kind of fans that Christopher Nolan has. Yeah. The way I would compare this movie, like you said, the slow pacing is one thing. But for another, it really requires a lot of effort on the part of the viewer. It doesn't treat its audience like they're stupid. You really have to chew, metaphorically speaking, you have to chew the food of thought that this movie feeds you. And you have to, it takes a mm. while to digest So, James, out of five stars, what would you rate this film? I would give it a four out of five. How about you? I'd say four out of five as well. Uh, Haters will say that I'm copying you, but it's the truth. I'm not a hater, but I still think you're copying me. Let's move on to casual correspondence.
1: Woo! Woo! All right, so I uh, cracked open the mailbox, and it looks like we have two letters here. One is from Linnea from Michigan. Hi, Linnea. It's been a hot second. It's good to hear from you, though. Hello, Linnea. So Linnea writes, do you
0: agree with the IMDb top 10 films? For those of you who don't know, IMDb has a master list of the top 250 films as per their rating system, which is out of 10. And the top 10 movies, I'm going to list them from number 10 to number 1 for those of you that need a refresher. Yes, I do. Number 10 is The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring from 2001. Number 9 is The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly from 1966. Number 8 is Pulp Fiction from 1994. Number 7 is The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King from 2003. Number six is Schindler's List from 1993. Number five is 12 Angry Men from 1957. Number four is The Dark Knight from 2008. Number three is The Godfather Part II from 1974. Number two is The Godfather from 1972. And number one is The Shawshank Redemption from 1994. Hmm. So that's the list of the top 10. Uh, My initial thoughts on this, I've actually seen a vast majority of these films. As for thoughts, I'll need to think about that more. James, what do you think?
1: Okay. Well, at first blush, I have not seen all of these. Um, I don't think The Shawshank Redemption belongs at the top. Uh, I'm just going to say that right off the bat. The Shawshank Redemption is a great story. Uh, with good acting and it's well paced. I think it's a bit long for for most. Uh, most of these movies are pretty long, honestly, at the top ten list. Uh, but whenever I think about like great movies, like of all time, I think about movies that like are not only like entertaining and like visually appealing and well acted, but also like tell a good story and are paced well. And I just don't have any great memories. Visually of the Shawshank Redemption, so I just don't think, from a cinematography standpoint, that belongs at the top. Um, I think there are a couple films here that would top that. I think both of those Lord of the Rings films, um, even the even the Two Towers, which is not in the top ten, would top Shawshank in terms of yeah. spectacle.
0: And that's one thing to note too is like. Whenever I talk to people about the Lord of the Rings trilogy, we never we almost never talk about the movie specifically. We always talk about the trilogy in general. Yeah. When I was studying my final semester in college in Los Angeles, I interned for a virtual reality company. And during my time there, I was learning about how do you pitch an idea? How would they evaluate your pitch, etc.? And I was kind of doing my own pitch and then running it past them. And one thing they said that stuck with me is one thing they consider is why does this need to be told in virtual reality? Because they are not interested in stories that could be easily told through another medium. Mm. And so anyone can classify on this list, you know, how would you do number one? Why should it not be this? There are infinite amount of reasons why X film doesn't deserve to be number one or why that same film does deserve to be number one. But for me, it boils down to, can this story be told in any other medium? And why does it have to be filmed? Hmm. For me, Lord of the Rings, the way it's stylized, and yes, like you said, the visuals, the camera moves, we're immersed in this world, and yet the journey is such a personal one. If you were to delete the video and make it a podcast show, it would be a terrible podcast show because you don't get that claustrophobia when they get close-ups of the one ring. Yeah, You don't get that sweeping, grandiose panoramic views of middle earth you don't get that it's lost with Shawshank I haven't seen the movie in a very long time okay but from what I do remember the story is fantastic however it's really good there is nothing in addition to that story that made me say to myself this is truly the number one film because it was still IMDB's number one when I saw it with my family and I gotta say not really feeling why it has to be there. I would definitely put Parasite higher. Parasite is number 23 and it is I believe the most recent film to be on this list in terms of date. Yeah. So, I would put it up there just out of movies that I've seen. There are a lot of movies higher than Parasite that I don't think should be like The Matrix.
1: From a technical standpoint though, I think it was very yeah. innovative. There's there's another thing that should be said I think about about movies that break ground casablanca is one of those i think people would watch it and say uh this movie is okay um it tells a good story but like why is this such a great why why does everyone talk about it and i would say well the next like six decades of cinema is influenced by this movie like it starts the snowball rolling downhill of just like pushing pushing storytelling to its limit
0: So wrapping up that question, uh, which, by the way, Linnea, a great question, by the way, and one that definitely warrants a lot longer of a conversation than we have time for. But thank you. All right. What's the next question we have, James?
1: Yeah. So the other letter we have here is from Connor from California. Hello. Uh, Hi, Connor. Good to hear from you again. Um, His question reads, is 2019 a year of film that will be hard to match
0: as far as quality in movies go? So again, I went on IMDb (laughs) (laughs) to refresh my brain as to the entire year of movies. Because some movies come out that's like, wow, I can't believe that came out that recent. And then other movies, it's like, oh, yeah, I I blotted out my mind on that one. Connor, I think that's an interesting question. My two cents right off the bat, I I do think 2019 can be overcome in terms of quality of movies. In terms of box office, Lord knows. uh, We had quite a turnout Endgame, you know, is the number one grossing film of all time now. We had Rise of Skywalker, which, whether you like it or hate it, won a lot of money. Um, But from a story standpoint, I think Endgame did a good job at wrapping up. But then you have movies like Captain Marvel, which I didn't think it was the best film in the world. Uh, Shazam. James and I saw Shazam. And it doesn't know. I don't think it knows what audience it wants. They have very mature and gritty action scenes and then very kid friendly humor oh gosh Uh, you have disney's dumbo reboot which i didn't see and i'll never see yeah no Uh, and then you had lego movie 2 which i think very few people remember still exists got live action Uh,
1: lion king live action
0: aladdin right you had even the greats like pixar didn't do their best this year with toy story 4 i just
1: yeah that's what i i think that's the biggest thing for me daniel i think the biggest thing for me is that 2019 was not a good year in animation no it really it really wasn't that great there weren't a ton of movies where i was like oh man you're really fighting for my heart here like it's so hard to pick what the best animated movie of this year is it's only uphill from here i think 2019 was not that great 2019 had how to train your dragon the hidden world uh which was awesome but other than that <laughs> i hate to be so cold-hearted but like these other movies, kind of forgettable. Uh Frozen yeah. 2 was pretty okay. Toy Story 4 was pretty okay. Missing Link was pretty okay. They were all good and bad for different
0: reasons. For me, the primary thing is, will people remember this movie five or ten years from now? Yeah. Um, will it make much of an impact? There are a lot of movies that came out in 2019 that I forgot about until I started looking down the list. Um, by the way, I didn't clarify this, uh, two episodes ago, we talked about the Academy Awards. I didn't think Toy Story four should have won that Oscar. Uh, it should have gone to something else. Yeah. Uh, The hidden world might've been my pick in terms of live action. You have a lot of terrible reboots, remakes, continuations, but I think to wrap up Connor, this is a great question. The way I would say that 2019 was not the best year and it could easily be matched or topped is that on the live action standpoint, there was a lot of uh, thoughtless remakes, that is remakes that didn't have any thought put into them, no creativity, no innovation. And as James put from the animation standpoint, there was not the best work from the bigger studios. So
1: My last thing that I would say is there's a lot of talk about coronavirus going on right now. I would say (laughs) the real problem is... um, RSS, and that is Reboot and Sequel Syndrome. Uh, yeah. I recall a couple friends uh, of mine sat down right before Christmas of 2018 and were like, what's the movie slate of 2019 looking like? And I believe 80% of big blockbuster movies that were being made were either a reboot or a remake or a sequel. And yeah. that's that's more than I've ever seen before in my entire life. And I don't have very... I haven't lived for super long, but I know that this is a recent trend.
0: I think there is something to be said, too, about sequels are not inherently bad, but everyone's relying so much on the sequel crutch to get them money, and it doesn't work. All right, let's go into our spoiler review.
1: Want to join the conversation? Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Casually Critical Podcast to get the inside scoop on future episodes. Feel free to message us on either platform to join in the casual correspondence or provide feedback on the show. Now, it's time to dive into our spoiler
0: review. Please advise. Severe spoiler exposure ahead. If you haven't seen Arrival, get out of the house and take a time out yeah, and cover your go ears. take a jog. It's spoiler time, folks. Um, so... As per a trend now, I guess with our movies, um, let's talk about the ending. Yeah. Okay. Of Arrival, especially what because what the heck? Why
1: was Voldemort there? Like, <laughs> is this a crossover already? I'm so <laughs> I'm so puzzled. Like, why? I don't know. It's kind of weird. James,
0: do what? you need to leave? Do you need to leave as well? <laughs> Could you keep the voice crack in? <laughs> you need to leave. <laughs> you need to leave. <laughs> Okay, so what I find interesting about Arrival is it uses flash-forwards instead of flashbacks. And I think for Mr. Vanilla New Wave, it's a great kind of... It's great because <laughs> it plays on our assumptions. We're assuming like, oh, these are all flashbacks. And oh, wow, her character, like, she had a daughter who died. And wow, that's so tragic. But she's moved on and her husband left her. But it's like, no, um, she didn't have a daughter. She will have a daughter. And her husband... She hasn't met yet, or or at least she does in the course of this movie. Gosh, yeah. I think that was such a, a clever use of, of that. And here's the thing, film buffs, people that want to make movies like this, this didn't come out of nowhere. This was built up very indirectly. The heptapods, as we learn, perceive time very differently. In fact, it their language is nonlinear. linear they form their symbols simultaneously they don't use pens so you don't start at one point and end on another yeah um and it's all in circles so you digest everything at once i just think that was a stroke of genius i love uh, that i love i
1: love how the language connects with the way that they think and as a person i don't know if you took any foreign language daniel in in i did in uh high school but like whenever i took french um in high school i there were times where i would catch myself thinking in french and i thought Mm. that it was a really brilliant nod to like whenever you start learning a foreign language you start thinking in it and because of that she starts seeing into the future
0: it was uh there was a hint in uh one of her dream sequences um she's talking with uh ian the character of ian who's uh jeremy renner and they're talking about language and he I think it was him who brings up, like, is it true that, l- like, learning another language rewires the way you think? Yeah. And and it's revealed to just be a dream. But even still, that dream sequence plays on the themes in this movie. It plays on the overall point, and it boosters the twist ending. So yeah. the twist ending it does not come out of nowhere. It's just a climax to a bunch of facts we didn't know where they were headed to i think a great thing that arrival does is
1: um something that some good horror movies even don't do well and that would be um they just handle the monsters so well the visuals behind the monsters the smokiness of it um you don't know what the monster fully looks like until the middle of the third act i would say and before that you don't you know you see them like it looks like two big hands, kind of. Like, you think it's two giant right. hands at first. Um right. But I just like, it's... I don't know, they the way that they fuse human anatomy in a, like, uncanny valley sort of way, where it looks like, right. are these knuckles, are these tendrils, like, what are these things, um, yeah. is
0: really, really good and really um, kept me on the edge of my seat. It does a good job at uh, reinforcing this tension between human and heptapod. Yeah, there's there's such an air of mystery. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think what adds to that is the fact that they don't have a face or even eyes. Yeah, because there's there's so much you can tell about an, uh, of the eyes of an organism, like in animated films, specifically illumination. If you want something to be likable, you give it bigger eyes, you know, creatures that we're supposed to like. Eventually, you can usually tell right off the bat, especially in animation. If it's a friendly or an enemy through their eyes. Yeah. But these don't have eyes. You can't read their facial expressions at all. Right. Which makes it even more terrifying. I am no psychologist, but there is a
1: process in your brain, I believe, Daniel, that exists specifically for recognizing faces and connecting with things. And I think that's what makes this so tricky. It's similar to the ships as well, actually. You can't tell, like, you get a good look and Mm. it's like, okay, this is in full daylight, but I still can't tell what material this thing is made of. Like, is it some sort of stone? Is it some sort of metal? Is it some sort of fibrous tissue? And it's the same way with the heptopods. It's like this right. weird, lumpy, feels like skin, but it's not. It looks like an elephant, almost. Yeah. Like elephantine. like, But not as wrinkly. Yeah. Maybe it's really wrinkly. It's hard to tell. I don't know. It's really it's really nicely done. So kudos to the art
0: department, uh, oh, the yeah. people that, that created these monsters. Um, as well as the language. The director worked with uh, Eric, the writer, to make the actual language of the heptapods. They created over 100 of those circle languages. Yeah. And 71 of them are used in the movie. Oh, man. That is brilliant. Yeah. So if there's any correlation between this and Parasite, the more thought you put in a movie, the more it's typically going to be shown through your art. Daniel, would you you like a live um,
1: retelling of my uh, experience whenever the twist first happens?
0: I would love to hear your thoughts, your live take.
1: Okay, could you be Amy Adams saying, who is this girl whenever she's... Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure, okay. yeah. Who is this girl? What? My, my brain box. Oh, my gosh, and she's the... Oh, my gosh, and she Is this flash forward? It's the future, and he's her husband? That's why she wasn't wearing a ring? Oh, my gosh!
0: That about sums up my reaction too when I saw this in theaters. I was physically I, yelling. It it blew my mind. Yep. Um and when I say blew my mind, I think to the atomic level I wasn't able to think much after that. I wanted to ask you this question, James. Yes. Because I've I've noticed this I've noticed this phenomenon happening with me at least. Um Okay. As I've said, I saw this movie back in 2016 when it came out in theaters. Uh, and since then, I just forgot a lot about it, or at least I thought I did. I just remembered the key vital information I learned. I knew, yeah, there's a point when it's revealed the flashbacks are actually flash forwards. I knew she hooked up eventually with Jeremy Renner and they got married or what have you. Yeah, uh, and that was about it. Uh, and I saw this movie again yesterday. And honestly, I'm back to just remembering basically the bare bones and I realize there's just not a lot of density to this movie's narrative. There really isn't. It's Mm. more atmospheric. But I have this question for you, James. Do you think that this movie is empty or do you think it's atmospheric? And is there a difference between the two? I think here's how I would rebrand it if I was trying to pitch the
1: movie to somebody. Okay. Instead of saying that it is empty and yes, I will confess there's a lot of vital, like, I only remember the vital details and some visual stuff. Yeah. I would say this movie is an experience. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's how I would rebrand it because honestly, like this is a journey and you don't have to carry too much with you. Um, it's simple and it is atmospheric, I think. I think that's the main thing is that it's so atmospheric that it's an experience. And then it's unlike mm-hmm. any other movie I've ever seen because of that.
0: Um, that's true. It does, I think, match the atmospheric experience of Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. Even though tonally, I think tonally they're very similar. At uh, at least atmospherically, they're very similar. Yeah. In terms of their narrative, obviously, they're a bit different. But it's interesting that Vanilla New Wave has very similar tones in several of his movies.
1: Yeah, now I need to see Sicario.
0: I, I want to as well. I've heard such good things.
1: So here's one thing that I will say about the twist, Daniel. I, I think... Um as the movie is winding down to a close i think they just show too much if that makes sense i think they um don't really need to show her and jeremy renner getting together and then jeremy renner saying you want to make a baby and like yeah, all of the yeah. stuff that follows that like it's all very good and it's it's like bringing it to a full circle but i think it would have been more interesting if they had just chopped like 15 minutes off of the ending and i'm not saying that everything at the last 15 minutes was non-essential but Mm. i think there was some stuff where it was like okay i can piece this together this is really interesting and then they just sort of Mm. leave you at that instead of sort of For me, it felt like I was overburdened, like they were showing me
0: too much. They kind of repeated some shots. Yeah. Several shots. Like, you remember this and this and this? Right. There's a lot of, like, a montage of all the flashbacks kind of pieced together, and I'm like, we could have just done this in our heads, like exactly the kind of audience that this movie attracts i think it would have been better serviced for that audience if they hadn't just given us the entire kit and caboodle
1: and i'm not saying that it's bad i'm just saying that i felt underestimated as a viewer uh Mm. because of all of the stuff that was being shown to me i was like okay yeah i know i remember that shot yeah i just saw that an hour ago actually i was sitting in the same seat (laughs) Uh, if you don't remember (laughs) mr vanilla new wave uh, but I'm, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. I just think that that's a little tiny nitpick, um, and I say it because I love this movie. I think it's I think it's great, and I'm really excited to see it again. I've only seen it once. Um, I want to experience it
0: again. All right. And with that being said, I'm Daniel, and this is James, and you've been listening to our podcast, Casually Critical. And always remember, folks, the one sentence my mom told me that changed my entire life forever. <laughs> Have a great day.
1: So touching.